0: Well, hello and welcome to Kickout 299. My name is Rachel. My pronouns are they, them, and I am stoked to just talk about wrestling
1: today. I'm Alicia. My pronouns are she, her,
0: and we are here with Sarah. Once again, we had you on for our DDT factions episode, but we are super stoked to have you back. And uh, to have you talk a little bit, a lot of it, about endotetsia today and uh Kassusana Higuchi as well. But before we get into that, uh, let's just throw out an introduction for our listeners. Name, where we can find you, pronouns, and more importantly, what you got going on right now. Because uh, I think you got a book coming out pretty soon.
2: Well, soon-ish. Um, <laughs> hi, I'm Sarah Kerchak. she, her... Um, Longtime writer, lapsed but returned wrestling fan who is very passionate about DDT because it speaks to my soul in a way that I think no other art form ever has. And I've been looking for it my whole life. Um, (laughs) But before we get to that, um, yeah, uh, I have a new book coming out. I was days away from being able to announce it the last time I was on the podcast, so I'd talk about like the secret thing I was doing. It's coming out April 18th. I finished, I hope, what are the last edits on it a couple days ago. It is called Work It Out, a mood-boosting exercise guide for people who just want to lie down. I think it's pretty much going to be what it says on the tin. It is basically just a guide for anyone who is anxious, depressed, or otherwise just does not want to do anything from a lapsed personal trainer who has been through all of that shit. So there are going to be some basic workout tips, but mostly it's just going to be about how to approach it and like why you're not the worst person ever for not feeling motivated to work out and how phys ed class ruined all of us from a very early age and what we can do to like connect with fitness in a way that's for us and not for anything else.
0: Yeah, that sounds stupendous. I know uh, everything you have said about this book uh, on Twitter has uh, really piqued my interest in it. And I'm
1: very, very excited. Just from yeah. your description of that, it's going to be very healing. So I'm yeah. really excited. I really
2: hope it helps people. Yeah, it's I I did not leave the fitness industry on the happiest of notes and only really got back into exercising myself when I started watching wrestling again, because it was just like, Oh, look at all the cool things that bodies can do. (laughs) Maybe not all of them are wise. Maybe not all of them are good for you, but they're super cool. And it made me want to just like, connect with my muscles again. And then my favorite wrestler became like a personal trainer, super fitness, new Truth. That was actually really inspiring as well. But yeah, I'm just really hoping that it can help people. And that one of the weirdest, darkest periods in my life will actually be a, a benefit to someone.
0: I definitely think it will. And that's actually, I'm really glad you brought it up. Cause I was going to ask if your interest in fitness had been renewed, um, because of wrestling and because of Tetsuya Endo, because I know you have mentioned multiple times and you actually mentioned on the last podcast, how uh, stupendous he is as an athlete and uh, incredible, his work and dedication towards his body, I guess, and, uh, <laughs> and how he uses that body as well.
2: Oh yeah. There are, I think if you get really into fitness, you'll notice there are like, like the meathead weightlifters. And then there are just like the pure nerds. Like even when I was taking my classes to become certified as a personal trainer, there would be like some jock in the background who would just like, "I oh, love muscles, I'm strong. And then there'd be some like equally built dude in the corner who had to like time his protein shakes down to the second and like brought a blender to class, but was like really into the theory of it. And I can see that level of nerdiness and <laughs> like, everything that Endo does, every like workout video he's posted on Instagram. Even if you like look at the food and the weightlifting form in his photo book, Tetsia and the Naked, it's just like pure unadulterated gym nerd. And I love every second of it.
1: That's fantastic. And so that people listening can keep up to date with you. And I know that you said it's not, you said it's due in April is when your book would come out. April Mm -hmm. so they can keep up with you and get some updates on your book where can they follow you
2: so I'm at fodder figure f-o-d-d-e-r-f-i-g-u-r-e um and that's on Twitter and Instagram right now I'm mostly just shit posting and dicking around on Twitter but at some point I will start like trying to revive my brand a little bit more and doing some more focused tweets as we get closer to promotion dates but in the meantime I hope you really enjoy gifts of Tetsuya Endo and Daisuke Sasaki
1: there's nothing wrong with your brand of ship posting. <laughs> it's a very effective brand of ship posting.
2: Well, I Thank
0: you. And uh, a lot of that ship hosting is what brought us together today um, to <laughs> to specifically to uh, discuss Endo and um, really his storyline that we've got going on right now in DDT and sort of what led to the stupendous, like just really, really um, critically acclaimed match with. Uh, Kaza Sada Higuchi and DT Wrestle Peter Pan. If you haven't watched that match, please do. But yeah, that's um, really what we wanted to talk about today. So a, a lot of the different things that came about from this match, both, you know, just online with fandom, a lot of conversations we've been seeing having about this match and um, our own thoughts on the mm-hmm. match and, you know, the storylines that have led up to it and storylines that we might be
2: looking at in the
0: future. So that's really what we wanted to focus on today.
2: Excellent. I'm, I'm really glad to have this opportunity and that we're all going to talk about it because I feel like a lot of the English language coverage surrounding not just Endo, but DDT in general is very focused on, you know, certain gender A certain amount of like time period that people have been watching too, a lot of the discussion is being led by people who came in when Endo was already on top and maybe aren't even aware of the fact that Higuchi's climb to the top is not actually that different from how long and how hopeless we got at certain points in Endo's (laughs) journey. Like it's a very classic DDT build as far as I'm concerned that people have just come in at different times on and have like different backgrounds and what they like. DDT is like, very clear about the fact that it is a multimedia influence they bring in influences from all kinds of different art not just wrestling and yet most of the English language coverage of it is coming from people whose background is almost entirely wrestling based so I think they're missing I mean certain beats and certain amounts of the story and just different influences that come from outside of the wrestling sphere and like all of this is fine I'm not going to tell people they're wrong for their opinion (laughs) personally in my heart I will believe it but I'm not going to argue that people can't say that. The only problem is that, you know, it's a a small English language fandom. um, There's a small amount of critical coverage of it. And so when there's only one type of voice that keeps saying things and saying them loudly, Um, it starts to snowball into some sort of idea that it's a consensus that this match was only one thing and that there were only certain wrestlers in it that were good. And that I don't think is representative of the larger English fan base. Um, And it's definitely not representative of the product. So um, I'm glad we're going to add a different perspective to this discussion and to that note i did
0: actually want to say i rewatched this match twice today and the second time i watched i watched it on english commentary and i actually did you guys watch it with english commentary at all i did yeah yeah, yeah i did not really Okay, I really liked Hiroshi Arai's commentary on the storyline of this match and sort of the mindset that goes in this match. So it's very interesting to me to see a lot of these takes, like you said, that have come from one, you know, sort of voice in the way people look at wrestling when DDT as a product does have, you know, some good English content and good English commentators who are putting out pretty representative storylines. Like Mm -hmm. he hit. All of the story beat notes that I think I would have hit, you know, um, talking about how it took Higuchi, what, seven and a half years Mm -hmm. to get to the point where he is, but Endo is also, you know, he climbed to the top and then is now facing this Humiliation for lack of a better word, yeah. that he feels um post Cyberfight Festival, which I'm sure we will speak on. Yeah. We, we <laughs> yeah. should
1: talk about that.
0: <laughs> we all have we all have a lot of uh yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in just a moment. Actually, I think it's probably good to start off talking about both of these wrestlers as they walk into this match. But yeah, he he definitely hit those notes. So if you haven't watched on English commentary, do that. But it is interesting how you still only get sort of this monotonous, um, this monotonous voice, Um, Mm -hmm. homogenous, I guess would be a good word for it. Uh, So that's, that's something to sort of think about as you guys listen to this episode. So let's, let's go ahead and start off, I guess, let's start off with the big one. Let's talk about our challenger, uh, Endotetia, as he's walking into this match, where is he um, mentally, where is he storyline wise?
2: Well, storyline-wise, he is coming into this, I mean, even the poster that they used for his comeback, I believe the translation was roughly, there are certain stories that only people who have been humiliated can tell, so they were really building this up, that this was, I think, a chance for redemption, but also a premature chance, and I I think this was brought up in English commentary, too, that... um, this was probably earlier in the game plan in Endo's storyline than the character would have liked. He was back for all of one match when Huguchi challenged him and then he felt the need to challenge back. Like, I don't think the idea in this story was ever that Endo was back and stronger than ever and coming to reclaim his title. This was simply an opportunity given that could not be turned down for, you know, for pride, for honor, for the fans that he felt he had let down. But I'm sure that not only the weight of what happened at Cyberfest, but also just the sheer lack of time he had been back in the ring were weighing on him quite heavily. So there was obviously a desire to win the title, to reclaim, to get back on the top. As soon as possible but probably underneath that all more the motivation of needing some kind of redemption some kind of proof so there were i think multiple goals going into this and you know probably quite a desperate need to prove himself which is an ongoing character beat that i rather enjoy watching
0: So Alicia, you have a lot of uh, takes and thoughts on this as well and sort of um, as meta of what this uh, storyline sort of entails and what it implies so I want to I want to hear some of your takes on it too because I think it's just very interesting
1: yeah thank you I I guess um and Sarah knows my thoughts extensively and and thank you Sarah because you you fielded a lot of dms from me during the cyber fight (laughs) stuff
2: and we uh, we carried each other there
1: we we did we did and um, (laughs) I talked about this also when we me and Rachel were on uh, the wrestling podcast with Liam and Gareth as well I spoke about this at the time coming off of cyber fight fest uh yeah what happened at cyber fight fest was distressing on multiple levels and then coming off of it and Seeing the, seeing that Endo felt that it was a humiliation and that DDT were leaning into this and that not only was DDT leaning into this, but Kenta Kobashi was leaning into this as a humiliation that Endo needed to sort of pick himself up from that really like um, still to this day, doesn't quite sit right with me. And I didn't Mm -hmm. have time to pull up the article to, um, to to reference the comments again, but I do remember them. Kobashi when he was talking about Endo coming back um, and talking about this humiliation and framing that knockout, which would have knocked out anyone, it's something that I think Endo is internalizing. Perhaps is um, I think the way that it's being discussed is that like Endo is is weak because he yeah. you know he he was knocked out from that. Slap, but the important thing to recognize is that he was hit in the exact right place to go out. So it could have been anyone, it wasn't yes. just about endo. And, and you that's and what... I have
2: discussed this. Yeah. Yes, yes we've discussed, you this, and I discussed this also as like MMA fans, not yes. just wrestling fans. And yes. I feel like the actual practicality of like just Being a human and being frail, no matter how tough you are, for all the claims of people wanting wrestling to look real and look tough, this point has apparently been completely lost on them. This is just the structure of a human skull. This had nothing to do with endo, bitch, like not tough enough or soft. Yeah, he could not know how to take a hit.
1: Yeah. Not knowing how to take it. It has nothing to do with his toughness or his ability to be a champion, which is something that distresses me and it's so weird yeah. because we're talking about at the end of the day, we're talking about a worked sport. So when I'm seeing people frame Endo as like, well, he's not a very good champion if he couldn't take that slap. That's insane to me. We're talking about a worked sport and he took a yeah. perfect shot to the chin, which would have put out most yes. MMA fighters. So I
2: mean, it's as simple as saying, like, oh, he's not a really good champion because he didn't keep his head on when he was decapitated like these are just yeah, like, like this is how the human body works
1: and like yeah. in, in keeping that in mind and going back to Kobashi's comments and, and I'm going to talk about this in the most respectful light possible because I think what we're talking about here and I talked about this on the wrestling podcast we, we're, we're talking about trauma that is not talked about in a way that um is I think very helpful for for generations of performers yet so I'm mm-hmm. talking about this in the most respectful light possible and I'm including Kobashi-san in that as well. But he tells the story in the article I was reading about how, when he was younger, he himself was concussed or something during a match. He frames it that way. And then he had to go into the showers and like wash Baba San's back. And what was keeping him upright and lucid was that these like things in the shower that were scratching into his back. And that was what was keeping him upright and continuing to do the job that he had to do as young boy, right? To Giant Baba and, and, you know, washing his back in the showers after the match. Mm -hmm. And he's describing this, but then he's also like going back and talking about endo and how we have to rally around endo and he's going to overcome this thing. And we're still framing it as, you know, this humiliation. And I'm just like, what you're, what you're describing is is trauma. You experienced trauma, you experienced head trauma, and then you Mm -hmm. had to keep going and no one was there for you to take you to the hospital because you experienced a head trauma. That's what we're talking about. And I feel like we have lost that lot with Endo in 2022. Kobashi's talking about something that happened to him in probably the the eighties, the seventies, maybe the the eighties more than likely it's 2022 and we've lost the plot again. We're still not having appropriate conversations around head trauma. So to have this storyline framed around Endo's humiliation and that he has to come back from this and prove himself from this, that really did not sit okay with me. It still doesn't sit okay with me. And I've talked about this, you know, with, with Sarah too, but we're, we're living in this like post Katsuyori Shibata world where that should have been it. Um, And then we should have been able to, as fans Mm -hmm. and as an industry, have much more meaningful conversations around what head trauma looks like. And, you know, and I just had to have conversations around these things that are appropriate, but I have yet to see really appropriate conversations come from these things. So to see this weird framing of Endo coming into this match with Higuchi needing to um, prove himself because he was humiliated from taking a shot that would have put out anyone, again, it just, it didn't sit right with me. It's not okay. But to your point, Sarah, before, this is like the most titsy Endo thing that he could have ever done. This is the only way that he could have taken it as a person and also as a character.
2: Mm -hmm. There's, he wrestles with uh, such a lack of ego, or at least that's how it appears to me. So little need to look like the victor, to look like the tough guy. That I don't know if there was any other wrestler that would have been better prepared for this storyline or better in that role. It is just unfortunate that he doesn't have the opportunity to do that without the actual weight of all this speculation of him on the outside of that not being tough enough and being humiliated because he he suffered a brain injury that anyone would have in that position. And that is
0: um, a really good point and is, like I said, just a tragedy that it had to have that shoot element because this is a really good storyline and it really speaks to the ability of DDT to sort of um, recover from that and mm-hmm. create such a beautiful and meaningful storyline for both wrestlers, which sends just absolutely beautifully over to our next competitor, to the champion, Higuchi, who is walking into this match as a champion after this beautiful crowning moment where he had come through King of DDT to win the vacated title. I just want to talk a little bit about that. And I wanted to speak on Higuchi's, I guess, journey to the KOD, because I know you, Sarah, do not believe that this moment was really all that far off in the future. And obviously that's, you know, speculating. But I do think that there's something to be said for a lot of online takes where people will compare Higuchi to say like Hiroki Dodo or other wrestlers who sort of sit in that upper mid card and never can quite win, quote-unquote, the big one. I never saw Higuchi that way. I know Alicia has never seen Higuchi that way, and I know you haven't either. So I was wondering it, your thoughts on that and how you saw Higuchi's, I guess, rise to the top.
2: Well, now, DDT is clearly a very slow burn promotion, and I know that isn't to everyone's taste, but they have never, in the time I've been watching, been a cruel promotion. And the second that Akiyama had Higuchi wrap that belt around his waist there's no way that higuchi was not going to be crowned after that like that is not a moment that ddt would set up to humiliate one of their wrestlers or to frustrate their fans and never have any payoff that, that's just not how the promotion works as a like storytelling machine so yeah i i believe that it's probably a lot slower than a lot of people thought but i think this was always the plan and in fact I really speculate that he was always supposed to win the tournament. And I think he was always supposed to win at Peter Pan. That's my theory, at least. Just the way that tournament came together, I'm assuming Endo was probably eliminated by Maso. Might even have been their plan there. Because just the final four was too perfect. And I know DDT has thought on their feet before, but that that just seemed like a long-term plan coming to fruition for me. And have Huguchi have that big moment there, I think the only thing they really changed was that they put the title on him there and had the big, you know, Akiyama wrapping the belt around his waist, flagging the flag there. I think that maybe would have come later. But um, yeah, absolutely beautiful moment. Very satisfying. And I, I don't really see that as being an off-the-cuff thing. I don't see it as being a desperation thing. I think Higuchi's time was always going to come and I'm very glad to see it. And a little frustrated that there, there's a number of fans who can't, to be honest.
1: I'm going to say something to your point, Sarah, about how DDT isn't a company that seeks to frustrate um, or disappoint its audience. I think that's actually really important. And I feel like what most fans, at least Western fans, come into Puro being a fan of which company? It's New Japan, right? New Japan mm-hmm. has a very specific booking style, And I think that this also can speak to all Japan and the way that they've booked their wrestlers over the years. And they've had some really inconsistent management over the years and some issues with their booking, very, very um, well-documented issues with their booking. I think that some people, when they're going into a company like DDT, which is very different from some of the other major companies, I think people can't let that go, that feeling that they're about to be constantly disappointed or let down by those promotions. And they're bringing that into... DDT and looking at DDT through that lens but DDT as um a promotion and as its own little culture within Parasu is so different you can't come into DDT yeah. lo- you know, looking at them through those lenses at all
2: mm-hmm. absolutely and I think yeah a lot of the western fans have that like lingering WWE suspicion in the back of their heads that you mm-hmm. just like, can't trust anything will ever go right too but yeah absolutely it's um I I realize it's not a booking style for everyone, but I, in my on and off 20 years as a wrestling fan, have never felt like my emotional investment has been more regularly rewarded than in the time I've been watching DDT.
0: And these two had quite a rivalry, sort of. um, It was a pretty new rivalry. I'd say it probably only got started, I'd say, what, 2020, when Mm -hmm. Higuchi returned from injury in May and won the Right to Challenge Sword from Endo in a really, really stupendous match, actually, on May 2nd, 2020, on the first episode of DDT-TV. And um, so, yeah, it, it sort of has been building up. Uh, I was re-watching these matches, and the rivalry really is super 50 50 like they are mm-hmm. very very evenly paced to the point where um, they had that dio grand prix match on november 28th 2020 where they had that double ko and in, if my listeners or our listeners have not watched that match please please do it is really one of my favorites but yeah so going into this match there really wasn't that feeling of Higuchi being a replacement for Endo mm-hmm. and Endo, you know, coming in just, to, you know, rise to glory once again, which was uh, a really good point that you had raised, Sarah.
2: Yeah, just want to go back a little bit and talk about what a beautiful dynamic it is, too, because there was clearly, I mean, from a character perspective, like developing mutual respect during the early days of the rivalry, too, which is saying a lot when Endo was still in damnation mode and at least I mean, he was sort of like the moral relative part of damnation, but was at least trying to be a heel and antagonize other people that has developed into just like this beautiful face versus face dynamic that they've executed so well, when obviously it's a really hard one to do. And also in terms of how like matched their wrestling has been with such different body types, different styles. And yet, they've been able to complement and each other so perfectly that it is very believable that it's been even up until this point, but also very believable that one of them could pull ahead at the right moment as happened at Peter Pan. I think I lost my point after
0: that though. No, I, I, that's really good. I wanted to talk a bit about uh, their rivalry and going into this match. Um, yeah. Have,
1: I'll just say two really quickly. I've talked about this with Rachel a lot, and this comparison might not be the most fair comparison, but it's the one that I use because it's the easiest to use. But I feel like part of why I've always been sort of so confused about why people don't find it believable that Higuchi would be in the position that he is in now and that this isn't just happening because Endo was hurt and they needed to Mm -hmm. kind of move their plans forward. That's what it just seemed like to me immediately was that we're not... This isn't just like a quick like, oh, it's a desperation move or... The other underlying yes. thing is I, I see a lot of, well, Endo got hurt and also Takesh is going to America full-time. You yes. have that underlying thing as well. You have that constant thing Because that background. was such a
2: surprise that Takeshita was going <laughs> right. to America. Right, right, right,
1: yeah. Um He's Out of the blue. And it's, to me, it's like, it's just sort of, it's so weird to watch people who are supposedly big Higuchi fans say that because to me, the biggest Higuchi fans are the people that are trashing him the most because you're saying that he would never have been able to do this. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't make any sense to me, but- to me, what's always been very clear is that they they basically have their pillars set up and you have, you'll always have Takeshita and then you have Ueno mm-hmm. and then you have Endo and then you have Higuchi. And I don't know who their power five member is. I would love to have hear your opinion, Sarah, on who the fifth guy would be. But to me, um, it's been so obvious that you have those four perfectly set up. They have years of, of history mm-hmm. with each other and they're all perfectly sort of at this point where they're constantly either at odds with each other or working together. And that's exactly how you want your top four or five guys to be all the time. And DDT actually uses them better as the youngest guys of, you know, of that part of the, the roster, mm-hmm. better than any other roster I can think of right now. And that includes NOAA, that includes all Japan. So I just... I don't understand um, what the disconnect is, but to me, it it just seems very obvious.
2: Yeah, to me too. And it's—I I mean, maybe it's just frustration, getting the emotional attachment of just wanting to see that belt around his magnificent waist, um, <laughs> giving way <it> to <laughs> and distress. He does look great on him. It really does. <laughs> yeah, like the whole look right now. He looks like so regal and so impressive. So yeah, maybe it's just like, it- it's frustration getting in the way of like a more critical viewing, which, which is understandable. We've all been there. I mm-hmm. cried my eyes out when I watched Endo finally went and I never thought that would happen the first time either. And still like not until he pinned Takeshita thought that moment was happening, even though the storyline was there clear. But yeah, it does kind of feel like you're underselling Higuchi if you really are suspicious of this crowning moment. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, what did you think Eruption was for? What did you think the developing rivalry rivalry with Akiyama was for? What did you think mm-hmm. the developing rivalry with Endo was for? Um, all of those pieces did come together really well and probably not exactly as planned but I really don't think this was like a DDT panic moment where they went, oh no, we've been forced into giving the younger generation time. We, we want to put it on Hiroshima but we can't. So Gucci, I guess. Like-, <laughs> well, that's, like you've seen me
1: com- you both have seen me complain about this, but one of the other complaints that I've seen recently from like more than one person is gosh is what, he's like 27 now, 28. He's young. <laughs> They're all really, really yeah, young. Baby. Yeah. They, um, I saw, what was the complaint that I saw? It was that Endo and and Takeshi are like, are used too much. And it's like, well, what do you want? Because when you go over to <laughs> Noah and then to all Japan, yeah. the complaints are that the older guys are, or are dominating, you know, the roster, yeah. whatever, what have you. Yeah. I, it's What do you, what do you want? Because to me, it's like, no promotion is perfect in how they book, but like, even for me, I'm, I'm the newest fan of DDT on this call right now, but for me as the newest fan mm-hmm. of DDT on this call, I think that they have the most impressive booking where it's so evenly matched throughout the roster. They're, the younger generation is not at risk of, of being um, completely overshadowed by the older and middle generations um, at all in the way that you have with the other uh, pro Promotions that we watch
2: yeah and yet they also do a really good job of not putting people out to pasture by the way so does tokyo joshi pro wrestling um <laughs> which is another promotion that's getting criticized for that right now but no I, I do think there's a really good balance and i actually i do think the slow burn is more satisfying thinking as an endo fan who thought it was never gonna happen like honestly Kuguchi fans take that moment and revel in it like th- this was always going to happen unless he died pretty much this was a long-term plan and like let's not despair about Ueno's chances either because I think they're going to push that one even longer it works really well for his character and to see him like come up against it and come up against it and fail it's going to be extremely cathartic when he finally wins it but you know if it's not the next couple of tries like let's not despair that that is very DDT style and I think it is going to be a beautiful payoff when it happens.
1: We just talked about that on a recent episode, um, Rachel and I, with a guest, uh, our friend Jack Grooms, we talked about it in relation to Kenta Kobashi and Mitsuharu Misawa's rivalry Mm -hmm. and how wrestling fans are impatient and they want... The payoff to be right now right now right now but this is a thing mm-hmm. that never ends it, it has to like these things have to keep going so no it doesn't make any yeah. sense to get the oeno payoff right now you need something to kind of be looming in the horizon for him and also for you because what would keep you watching if you got the payoff for everything mm-hmm. right here and right now so it has to play a large role in some of that criticism but it's just strange when it's i guess when it's so there's something about the ddt criticism lately that sits with me strange in a way that the criticism of all Japan and the criticism of Noah doesn't tend to sit with me. I don't know why that
2: is. Well, for me, part of what I really dislike about the DDT criticism is that it comes from a lot of people who say they're fans but then constantly talk about DDT like it's some sort of misbehaving child that isn't fulfilling the role it's supposed to as opposed to a promotion that is doing exactly what it sets out to do but doesn't happen to be what some people who are covering it want it to be Mm -hmm. and that's not to say that you can't criticize anything that's happening but it just feels like I don't know people get mad at like art film critics going into a Marvel movie and saying this isn't doing what I want it to and I'm not a fan of Marvel so I don't want to compare DDT to that but it's also like I don't know a Marvel fan going into some bizarre art film and then being like I don't understand the plot points this isn't what I want it's like yeah because it's different it's not for you it's like there can be different things and what we should maybe do is evaluate if something is doing what it's actually setting out to do and like following through on its thesis, as opposed to like, is it doing what I want it to, which is, I don't know, apparently to be like any other wrestling promotion and not embarrass me for being a comedy promotion so I can show people the same for Takeshita matches over and over again.
1: Well, to your point about Takeshita, I'm really, I'm just really curious because I've been sitting with this lately as well. A common thing I'm seeing around Takeshita and what you said just reminded me of this. People are making this sort of comment around, um, I think trying to frame DDT in this light of like, oh, well, Takeshita is going to go to AEW full time and trying to paint this into this negative light of like, well, DDT is not doing what it's supposed to be doing to keep him there. And there's this dual voice there. It's Takeshita has outgrown the promotion, but also DDT is not doing enough Mm -hmm. to make its people happy. And Both of those voices are very, very odd to me. So I'm just curious, Sarah, if you have any thoughts on that.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I guess during the pandemic, Takeshita was somewhat as vocal about his long-term dreams to wrestle in America so maybe the fans who came in circa 2020 and 2021 aren't as familiar as anyone who watched before that um, probably aren't familiar that there was like that long-running joke in the fandom of Takeshita being the first sign up for Japan NXT like it, it's not a shock to like even English speaking fans so there is no way in hell that it was a shock to anyone involved in creative decisions and business decisions for DDT. And at least public facing, Takagi has always been supportive of people chasing their dreams elsewhere, possibly to the detriment of the business of DDT. But, you know, when he speaks about it being a family, it's, somewhat less creepy than most corporate culture speaking about things being a family. (laughs) Um, There seems to be some genuine support there that he really does believe, you know, Kenny can come back whenever and that they can, you know, make each other shine for that moment and that he I I don't think had any desire to like keep Takeshita away from his dreams and probably this AEW setup and that's where he's gonna go is ideal in that you don't lose Takeshita full-time and he can like come back to DDT for big shows and not have some bizarre racist fake name that he has to wrestle under instead (laughs) so (laughs) (laughs) like Like, I think not only is business-wise DDT sort of open to whatever takashas choices are going to be, I'm assuming that, like, their long-term planning has always been based around the idea that this can and probably would happen. So that even in the sense of building new stars to, like, come in and take takasha's place, I don't think that's a panic decision either, like... I think, you know, you see this promising young star who keeps talking about America, and you're like, we're going to throw the belt on him for hundreds of days at a time, and we're going to get everything we can out of this, like, first flash, and we'll have, like, the first round, and then we can start to use him to build up his rivals, and then if he does go, we're going to have people underneath who are ready to take that mantle, and yeah, I think part of the reason the discussion around Takashita being like so necessary for DDT is because the people who are leading those discussions he's the one they can point to that doesn't embarrass them and fulfills all of the points they need in wrestling and the rest of the roster is somewhat more rounded in being more what DDT wants out of wrestling although I do think Higuchi is pretty much the ideal person they could have picked to have a match against Takeshido when Americans and non-DDT fans are starting to pay attention. I think that's going to be like an excellent showcase, both of like, you know, territorial pissing in terms of what they can do in terms of serious wrestling, but also sort of just like gently lead those fans into more of the like dramatic dream storytelling style too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's one thing I
0: um, had mentioned, I was talking about as it was another topic involving DDT um, with Alicia's that a lot of people will throw out like, well, DDT has serious wrestling too, whereas it's almost a better argument to say that the wrestlers in DDT can wrestle the way that they want Period. Mm. And sometimes they want to wrestle in that like serious style where, you know, you have Higuchi, you have Takeshi, you've. Endo and Ueno, obviously, you know, all, all four of them can get goofy when they want to, because there is that freedom. And that's the thing about DDT is that you always have that sense of these people are wrestling the way that they want. Um, you would never say that, you know, Shinma and Mao, they're still aces of the promotion in their own right. Uh-huh. They're not going to be, you know, wrestling your big, you know, five-star matches because that's not what they're the ace of. They're the ace of their own brand of bullshit. And that's <laughs> the wonderful thing about DDT is you would still call them the top of the promotion. They're just, you know, <laughs> the, the kings of bullshit. And that's great. And that's why I love them. And that's why I love DDT. So it, it is good that you have all of that variety and that you can still put on these matches that can introduce people who are used to getting a certain thing out of wrestling, the way that wrestling serves them. Like you said, um, Takeshita and Higuchi will definitely appeal to those people. But I do think that there's something to be said about um, the other matches on the card that will hopefully also um, show people what DDT can do. But thinking about that, um, segging into, let's talk about this match at CAN. Let's talk a little bit about (laughs) this match at just a little bit, because that is a, a good example of a match that I think serves a lot of people and a lot of purposes. And it has a lot of amazing moves that speak to DDT today and also speak to pro wrestling of yesterday which I know Alicia can speak on a lot there especially when it comes to Kobashi and Akiyama's role in this match so there's just a lot to talk about in this match and I really really want to get on that so yeah let's let's get to it let's talk about uh things in this match that spoke to you can we talk about the
1: streamers first can we start with that I want to talk a little Uh, bit about legacy first
0: absolutely
1: let's Um, let's get right into it Alicia talk about your takes here so I, I forget what was, ha- oh, it was my birthday weekend. So I couldn't watch, I was didn't watch Peter birthday. Pan. It was on my birthday. I couldn't <laughs> watch Peter Pan live. I watched Royal Road and then went to bed, but I saw the pictures the next morning of Endo with the streamers. And I guess I didn't really think that they were going to do streamers. So I was really surprised, but they were the orange and the purple and like just the Kobashi color streamers and endo just sort of there and just being like engulfed by them. And it made me immediately extremely emotional to see that it was just like this beautiful visual thing. And I just started to, And I've been talking about this sort of um, quite a bit over the last like couple of months uh, with Rachel. I've talked to you about it too a little bit, Sarah, how I feel about Endo and in this sort of role, the way that he is with Burning, with the fourth iteration of Burning and his role with Kobashi and also uh, Akiyama. But I remember vividly when this was all announced, I remember the comments that came immediately about why was it Endo that was chosen to be the face of burning and to work so closely with Kobashi and with Akiyama. And to that, I would say, if you don't know why it's Endo, then you have not been paying attention to Akiyama and Kobashi and the type of people that speak to them and that train with them and that tend to be like their guys from the very beginning, the first iteration of Burning through to now. There, That is essentially the reason why it's Endo. I mean, he is like the perfect student and the personality to work with both of those men. And you can see in the comments that. Kobashi makes about him and that Akiyama makes about him and how protective Akiyama is of Endo, the esteem that they hold him in and how much they think of him um, and how much it means for all of them that he has this mantle of burning. This is like a very, it's an emotional thing for me because of just what I think of Kobashi and Akiyama and um, what I think of the burning ethos and what that means to wrestling. For Endo to be the representation of that now is really beautiful thing he's the right person to do it but what i think is incredible about endo and sarah i think you touched on this like back when this was still so new and we did the ddt factions episode we talked a lot about endo we weren't sure if we were going to see like this push and pull with him and akiyama and we weren't really sure of like all the moving pieces with this but endo and his personality has not been lost in burning and then in working Mm -hmm. with kobashi and also Akiyama, and that's what really um, I guess struck me in seeing him in the streamers, and then seeing him um, in the match when I was able to watch it during that weekend. Is that Endo's in this beautiful position of being a representation of Burning and representing Kobashi, but never being, never drowning in that legacy, mm-hmm. and never losing himself in that legacy, and not having to change who he is. Um, in order to sort of stack up to the legacy that is burning of kobashi of Akiyama and I have to compare him to Goshiazaki in Noah who is coming out looking so much like Misawa and he has his own story <laughs> through Noah and he, there's a reason why you know that would that would speak to him and where he is now but he is just, just suffering under the weight of legacy and what that means to him and just an unhinged human being through his storylines right now just lost in legacy has no idea who he is now without the GHC heavyweight championship and it's fascinating to compare the both of them because both of them have these very important relationships with Kobashi and with Akiyama and yet it serves Endo more even though he doesn't have that direct connection to to Noah, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But in DDT and having the fourth iteration of Burning and being the face of that, like he never ever gets lost in any of that. And it really, like, I get this like mental image of like Kobashi sort of behind Endo, like pushing him up. Because it really is about... Endo, and it's mm-hmm. not about you know him getting lost sort of in like the in just like the names of all this. Like he really is still Endo Tetsuya, and I think that's just so important compared to looking at Shiyazaki's story, where he's leading us to you know to look at him as as lost in this and lost in legacy and lost in what it means to be mm-hmm. under the shadow of of Mitsuharu Misawa's legacy. So it's just fascinating to me, and I think it's just probably my favorite thing about the fourth iteration of Burning so far.
2: Mm-hmm. That's really beautiful. And yeah, what a perfect story for DDT, which also, you know, tries to balance legacy and influence with their own thing. A
0: little bit of a uh, a rebel promotion in some ways, but it still always. holds wrestling to a uh, a high esteem, which is something that's always been very important to DDT and to Takagi as well, mm-hmm. which we talk, talk about in our biography episode on him. All right. So um, let's talk just a little bit about your thoughts on the match, Sarah, and uh, your takeaway, things that stood out to you and uh, sort of, I guess, the story that spoke to you there.
2: So, um, you know, as a very endocentric fan, obviously the thing that spoke to me most was how it worked as the story of, you know, an underdog psychologically and physically fighting for victory obviously but more importantly than that like sort of fighting for some sort of like repentance or redemption with almost like this catholic fervor (laughs) at times that (laughs) those chop battles became less of a like dick measuring contest or pissing contest or test of strength even or even a display of fighting spirit more than just like sort of begging to get back in the game, to feel something, to suffer, to be part of the wrestling and to survive. Which, as someone who also really loves the way Endo portrays suffering, this worked for me beautifully. And to have it not at the hands of, like, someone who had no respect for Endo was also really beautiful. Because Higuchi in his role was fighting to prove that he was a real champion, that he wasn't a fluke or anything like that. But the flag improved the strength of DDT. also, in a way, fighting for Endo's redemption in that fight, fighting to make Endo the equal that he knew he was, and to give them both a moment at the end there when he was stopping the count to let Endo stand up again. There was, there was like no pity or malice in that that was simply like giving them both a chance to prove themselves and to have the actual real moment to determine who was the leader of this company and who was the victor um, and it was just all executed I think so beautifully and in a way that you could see the story was higuchi proving himself in his dominance that you can follow the story of Endo getting the redemption he needed out of that match or you know, watch it straight down the middle and see how like wonderfully both of them portrayed those roles and how in a way they both won that day.
0: Yeah, I think that's perfectly sad. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, everything. I mean that the whole match was great from bell to bell, but um, I'd say like after that burning star press into the claw from that, such a great on, spot. Oh, so amazing. <laughs> I screamed. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, after that point on, it just, the storyline became so loud and clear. It was almost hard not to cry. um watching mm-hmm. it. Uh, just how, how incredible it was. Yeah. I love that you're talking about how Higuchi had that respect for Endo, but also what Endo was looking for in that match. And he seemed to understand that, which really stood out to me in that moment with um, the slap,
2: mm-hmm. which
0: was really just an incredible, like just Never ceases to just take me out uh, when he's when he hits endo almost as though you know like you want your redemption just take it right here yeah Um, you want the pain I will give you the pain you want redemption you take your redemption and um, I think that in the hands of any other wrestler any other champion that would have a very different moment so I think that's that's really just an incredible thing that stood out yeah
2: really I think in the hands of maybe anyone else on the roster for sure it, it could have easily been a dick move it could have been like a way to just psychologically undermine endo a way to just like punk him but instead it, it actually just seemed to be you know more of a chance to allow or give endo the opportunity to just survive it give them both a chance to like face that moment and work through it because Higuchi was his teammate in that moment that he watched him go down. It was a loss that Endo bore the brunt of, but also that Higuchi suffered and had to make up for in his own story. So it became instead this sort of chance to move on, this chance to build something new. And they both did from that moment. Um, I, I don't think there was... Any hope for anyone watching or anyone in that match that Endo would have a victory after that moment but it, they were both able to have a meaningful battle and have a meaningful ending to that battle that was more than what they had both faced before then um, that both proved that Higuchi was you know a, a real champion someone who could lead the company and that Endo was someone who could climb back and survive and prove himself in that ring again. It was um yeah, I gasped in the moment and then it was <laughs> oddly beautiful and touching, almost in a really perverse way. It was just exceptionally well done.
1: And I think it's so important to hear you frame that moment that way, Sarah, because I think about a very strongly worded comment that is sort of haunting me um, mm-hmm. since I read it and someone had watched that match and, and I, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember the comment verbatim, but essentially the comment was made that Endo got up and had the piss beaten out of him in front of his heroes. And that really, to me, and, and especially today I'm watching the match back again, to take that a moment like that and mm-hmm. to come, and to come away with the feeling that Endo got up there and what, you know, just, just got the brakes beaten off of him in front of people like Kobashi and Akiyama and that there wasn't this beautiful respect being paid to Endo the whole time by Higuchi. I don't know how you arrive at the conclusion that this was somehow more embarrassing for Endo through that match.
2: Yeah. I mean, unless you, you know, have a conclusion or something you want to see in a match and you work backwards and you can weave it all in there. And I'm sure someone could argue we're all doing the same, but I mean, we're all invested in this story for different perspectives, even though we're all Endo fans. Um, and we're all coming to similar conclusions. So there's probably more to the story than that one baffling perspective personally. Um, but also I was actually watching um, Kenta Kobashi versus Steve Williams from 1993 before we got on this call and watching the end moment of that where Kobashi sort of struggles into the corner and tries to pull himself up by the turnbuckles, which, I mean, talk about Endo, you know, having influences of Kobashi, but still being his own person. Endo had his own moment climbing up at the end there. And I don't know how... It as I am not a person who is completely versed in Kobashi's history. I don't know how you could claim to be like a scholar of wrestling or deeply into the history of it and not see the parallels there and not think for a moment that maybe the person that was actually in the Kobashi role in that story was not being humiliated in front of people who respected.
1: it. No, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think that that's, that's a beautiful comparison and a perfect match to to use as a comparison point. And, uh, when you, when you have that solid comparison point and you look at what endo is doing and like that, it's like, it's a beautiful bit of tribute work, but it also speaks to Endo as a natural performer. It's such a mm-hmm. natural part of who he is. So it almost doesn't, it's not even fair to uh, to call a tribute piece to Kobashi because Endo is being Endo and yet the parallel is there. And that's why it's so beautiful and why it works. But yeah, you, you've, you've said it so beautifully. I mean, when you have those wonderful points of comparison, it just, there was not a single person at ringside watching that. And then Higuchi himself, that wasn't, lifting endo up as a part Mm -hmm. of the storyline even though higuchi's motivations going into this are very different than endos so Mm -hmm. yeah beautifully said and that's one
0: thing that we were just talking about um you and i alicia that um and we were talking about this earlier this story i mean there there's obviously it's about higuchi in a lot of ways but the storyline right now and just in ddt in general is really still about endo you have their two biggest shows of the year right now And what were those matches, those main event matches really about? It was about, you know, Endo winning the title and now Endo facing a new mountain decline, both in Higuchi, but also within himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you have Endo as very much this main character still. And when you are the main character, humiliation isn't really the end goal there. And mm-hmm. I think that was the whole point of that match. And that's what you were saying is that, you know, humiliation isn't the end. Um, and so to take away this match as being, oh, well, Endo was just getting further humiliated is is not even um, losing the plot. It's, it's frankly just missing the entire point. But yeah, I, I know Alicia also had some ideas of... Uh, looking like the main character walking away in defeat and still it being your year and your storyline. So I want to hear some of those. <laughs> Oh
1: yeah, and I think actually this like came full circle for me in talking to Sarah the other day when I was talking to Sarah about Jake Lee I think that there are tremendous points of comparison between Endo's story this year to some degree and also things that Jake has been going through for a while, particularly going into this year and I just recently saw a bunch of comments saying that like, yo, all Japan just seems to be done with Jake he's not, you know, he's not even really going to be Kento's principal rival anymore it's clearly going to Yuma jake coming off of you know being injured and and having to come back from that injury after he had to give back the triple crown i mean he went to the finals of champion carnival he became a two-time triple crown champion and then he went to the finals of royal road i don't know if i would say that all japan is done with jake lee when that's your year um and it's uh we're going into september so Um, I, I think that, um, I've seen very similar comments to about Endo and diminishing his role and his popularity in his own home promotion. And that happens to Jake Lee a lot as well. So there's just some very interesting points of comparison with them and, um, how I think the Western pro fan base sort of views them and their roles within their own companies. So Mm -hmm. it's just interesting, but that's certainly where I, I think about them quite a bit now.
2: Absolutely. I think there's also just a tendency in in the outspoken parts of the fan base to think that only the person holding a belt matters to like not follow storylines beyond that, which I don't know, maybe if you had influences outside of wrestling in your fandom, like the way you view it as a fan or the way you view it as a critic, you might be Uh, more open to looking at the multiplicity of storylines that can happen at the same time and how great wrestling actually is for fostering that yeah because there's so much interesting work that happens in and around the belt without ever having to touch it or with you know the failure to reclaim it at certain points or the failure to get it yeah if someone doesn't just put a belt on you out of nowhere it doesn't mean they're done with you um there are longer stories to tell. There are, in fact, better stories to tell.
0: And actually, that was something I was talking about with a friend um, yesterday about how wrestling happens in the art of pain and in the art of losing. That's when wrestling is born. It's how you come back from those kinds of things. And that feels pretty obvious, but you can't really have those moments if you are just holding the belt all the time and one thing we were talking about way earlier about just endo coming back into um this match and coming back his whole storyline of humiliation that's actually reminded me of a um, shoe pro article By uh, Kenno that I recently read. And (laughs) I I always have one. I have one for every situation. Uh, But no, this one's a a pretty recent one. And he was talking about the art of the comeback and coming back (laughs) from injury as being a form of wrestling. And that it's an extremely important form of wrestling. And you hear um, Katsuya Shibata talking on it too how everything you do is wrestling. And that act of how you come back from those kinds of things is a form of self producing and how you connect to your fans in your time away. And him making that storyline about that shame and about that humiliation is still connecting to the audience and creating that storyline for himself to come back to. And I find that a, a very impressive thing. And that is wrestling. Yeah. And it's not always about the belt. It's not like I thought it was fascinating when you had mentioned, Sarah, that, um, you know, this this was a little too early for him and he didn't necessarily even really want the match, which I, I thought that was, that never really even occurred to me that this was uh Higuchi and honestly, Akiyama's decision for him too, because both <laughs> of
2: them
0: were going for this, like, oh, I'm going to win the belt yeah. and then I'm going to have Endo face yeah. Endo never said that. Um, and yeah. that's really interesting that you should have pointed that out. So I wanted to bring that up as well, that yeah, like these, these storylines don't necessarily even thrive because of the belt they're Mm -hmm. thriving because these wrestlers are taking what is given to them and they're taking that pain they are taking that loss and they're turning it into story and they're turning that into wrestling and so I thought that was that was really great that you brought that up and the way that a lot of people view wrestling is a little bit different than
2: yeah I mean for me it's more engaging like most of us will have more moments of suffering and loss than we will have of, like, pure domination and victory. And I I guess for some, it's to live vicariously through that all-powerful champion. I mean, it's what propelled Hulk Hogan's career in his prime. It's probably what was an ideal thing for Cena for a lot of people. But I don't know, like, well, I'm also very emotionally attached to the ongoing suffering of Daisuke Sasaki, so maybe I'm not the person (laughs) to speak about this. But yeah, no, for me, the whole, like, fall down, get back up, fall down 6,000 more times and struggle to your feet again. It's meatier, it's more interesting, but it's also just, like, more human and more relatable. And for, you know, not to, like, just complain about people on the internet saying things for the whole time (laughs) we're talking to you, but I mean, also when they have the claim that, like, endo doesn't show fire or emotion it's often more subtle, but the suffering is all there and you can hear the connection that the live audience has with him. And I know those high pitched voices are gonna be written off as hormones, but you know, as beautiful as his abs and his ass are, that's not what's fueling the intensity of those cries in those moments when people are willing him to get back on his feet, when people are willing him to fight again. Uh, there is like an extreme investment in that emotion in those stories.
0: And you know what I actually connect that to is, and it's it's just interesting you should say that, is actually um in Noah, Masakita Mia has this incredible crowd connection that I think a lot of Western fans don't really they don't see. get it. They don't mm-hmm. really quite understand. And it's because he is that underdog and it's because he has such a fighting spirit that is always he's taking that punishment and he, you know, shakes it off. He has this hilarious, you know, shake off moment that the audience always bites into. And they always and I see that with Endo as well, is that they they can connect to the way that he takes the pain in the way that he stands up from it and they're both very different in their own ways mm-hmm. but they still have that sort of underdog vein that I think runs through the audience as well mm-hmm. and, um, and a lot of times um, I think western fans aren't quite seeing that crowd
1: connection it's just a very interesting thing the same thing with Jake Lee mm-hmm. there we go and that's completely ignored by western fan bases, the connection that he has with the crowd, that he has literally said that because he's so big, he's tall. He's like a 6'4 man. um, He's never wanted to be viewed as a big man wrestler. So he's very careful in his moveset. And he's also very Mm -hmm. careful in how he does things and how he demonstrates things to the crowd because he wants the crowd to feel empathy for him and to you know he, he's talked about like his earlier years to sort of connect with the crowd that way too and he wants the crowd to get behind that and not just view him as like this big man wrestler it's very important to him but that gets lost in translation all of the time with the western audience who just like doesn't always pick up on that or at least they stopped picking up on that because it wasn't a problem until the total eclipse so Uh, I don't know there's something to be said about that as well and I think that's uh, a lot of people started watching or paying attention more to all Japan when uh, Mm -hmm. it was the pandemic and Jake moved into the total eclipse role which is a very different role than he had ever been in before so there's that as well but there's still that to that point of a special audience connection in that role it plays in a promotion Jake also fills that role
0: and there was that sort of jump as well with Endo going from damnation to burning that sort of changed a lot of fan perception, but did not really change his audience connection.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's
0: also very interesting to think about is how sort of that role in the company sort of shifted and altered things.
2: Oh, yeah. But I mean, I think the evolution was really, really quite organic there. Mm. No matter like how much eyeliner and no put on and damage, and I mean he he had an incredible presence as a, a so-called heel or tweener, but he you know rarely did anything particularly nefarious in his matches. Yeah, um, or. Uh, any more nefarious than what he's doing now and burning he'll still yeah. you'll occasionally see him be a little shit in the corner in really subtle little ways <laughs> Akiyama won't even let him half the time <laughs> he'll try Does and it?
0: Akiyama's it's like so you go right weird. back here. yeah and we
1: Akiyama's talked about is that such and... a bastard Yeah.
0: well Akiyama will cheat he just doesn't want endo to. and mm-hmm. we talked about that a little bit in um the DDT factions episode but mm-hmm. it's been very interesting to watch that sort of uh Evolve and change and not change, and how uh,
1: how the way he now. treats Endo right now is like exactly how he treated Shiazaki when Shiazaki was younger. It's so bizarre, it's not bizarre, <laughs> it's, it's just interesting, funny, though. it's yeah. just funny. Like the point of connection between the two, and like what he sees in Endo is very similar to what he's seen in some of the people that he worked with in Noah when they were younger as well. So mm-hmm. it's just, and it's just lovely, there, yeah.
0: All right, so I think we've uh, sort of covered the match. Let's just sort of wrap things up. Talk about the uh, that beautiful end of the match. We have uh, we talked a lot about Higuchi and Endo's rivalry. Um, we have that beautiful, beautiful post credit scene with Higuchi and Endo, and uh, yeah, that seems to be speaking to a lot more. So I'm uh, curious to see. Where you think that rivalry is going, and then also um, what you think is next for Higuchi and what you think is next for Endo. So let's start from let's start from the top. Let's start with if you think that uh, where Higuchi and Endo's rivalry is headed. Do you have any predictions on that?
2: Well, I do think it's interesting that Huguchi, in you know, typical like humble fashion, but also practical fashion, has said that they are still very evenly matched. And despite the fact that everyone saw this match, as definitive as it was, to Huguchi's mind, it was one match and it could be different the next time. That mm-hmm. the two of them are still, well, I mean, probably not I know at this moment, but Huguchi is definitely seeing them as more equal then perhaps they actually are in this moment or as Endo perceives them. But I think in the future, there will certainly be moments where they clash again and we'll get to see that beautiful like big man versus high-flying guy who desperately wants to stand and trade with the big guys (laughs) which I love so much um yeah I I think they're gonna do some incredible work together in the future too probably some matches that will end up on spreadsheets and get stars and probably some that will confound those same people because I, I think both of them have the skill to appeal to people who like wrestling on very traditional means and also appeal to the part of the fan base that tends to love dbt more than they love pro wrestling and have other influences of, which mm-hmm. i think is really beautiful and great in terms of where higuchi goes next looking at well we hope he beats Takesh, all right and we assume that will be the case um
1: oh, yeah Takesh is wearing a wearing a cowboy hat and american flag shorts i'm, I'm very <laughs> confident what in higuchi's word. ability to go over that man
0: i mean it's it's not unusual or I guess
1: it's not out of the question for
0: wrestling in general to give the belt to someone who will then mm-hmm. move and vacate it but I don't <laughs> think DDT would do that
2: yeah um, you know what yeah. I get nervous around them but they haven't let me down yet so I'm just gonna go ahead it's like fingers crossed assume and then I we're all really hoping for a Saffa match at some point in this rain right um I think we have like There's a potential here to do one of the coolest reigns I've seen in wrestling in a while and just have it all be like face versus face or face versus like slight bastard that we all love, like a face. Because Higuchi is someone in personality and in wrestling who can pull that off and we can have a lot of believable and dynamic matches and lead up to the matches that never ever has to play into a more traditional heel face dynamic and can just be like two people you both want to win for different reasons and see how that plays out
0: I think that's an excellent uh way to go and I like you said I think Higuchi is probably the one to do it he's got such a presence and such a he's such a he's such a champion like I know that sounds weird but he has like that sort of noble Mm -hmm. um, sort of honorable champion sort of uh, persona and actually I wanted to note I thought it was very cool and very much spoke to um, the champion that we see Higuchi as that they had the um, a replica of the DDT flag out during (laughs) Peter Pan for like people to pose with and I think that's that's very much indicative of how they see Higuchi as Mm. being this symbol of DDT so I think that's that's a good way to almost um use his run to highlight DDT as it is and and the wrestlers that they have in DDT right now so that that would be very interesting and I'd be interested to see who his challengers are and if uh, we're looking at any outsider challenges mm-hmm. or if we're going to keep it completely insular and you could do it either way but I think it's I think it's interesting yeah I'm thrilled to see where this goes do you have any thoughts there Alicia
1: I'm tremendously excited about the potential of this roster and potential of this rain and Mm -hmm. where they can go with it. Because to me, all of this stuff was going to happen. It's just that we we had a horrible, misfortunate accident that sort of brought us there quicker than we ever expected. So this is, is not, you know, we were always going to get here. So I'm just kind of, excited now to see what it's going to be like now that we are moving past what happened and we can hopefully stop talking about what happened. Yeah. Um, that would be great. I don't want I don't yeah. want to see it anymore. If they put It'll it in happen. another package, I'm going to start screaming yeah. um, and we can start, we can stop rather talking about it. So I'm just excited <laughs> to see what's, what's next and enjoy it as just a pure fan of what they do because DDT is a lot of fun.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, so hey, have either of you thought about the fact that if Everything was going as planned and Higuchi would have won at Peter Pan. That would have involved Akiyama putting the belt on him in front of Endo. Yeah, I was thinking about that,
0: too, when you mentioned like, oh, it would happen a little bit later. I'm like, you mean at Peter Pan with Endo right there? Yeah, like that hit me just then. And I, I did want to bring that up. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. So we might still in the future be looking at some some tension there there still might be a way to get some tension with Akiyama and Endo. Um, We do have the Grand Prix coming up and there's, there's always possibilities going on there, but that, that moves on to uh, what's next for Endo Tetsuya. That's a a big loaded question. And I, I think there's some fun talking points that I'm going to get a lot of uh, hot takes out of, especially from Alicia. So.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Alicia, go first then. Come on. Okay. Give us the hot takes. So first off,
0: Do you think that, uh, do you think Endo versus um, Nakajima is on the horizon, should be on the horizon or shouldn't be?
1: Okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I think that it's an inevitable because they've all made comments at this point about how Endo needs to get back in front of Nakajima and get his win back. Kobashi has talked about this. I think it's an inevitable. Am I going to be happy about it? No, because they're going to frame it again as something that Endo has to do in order to, again, like get over the humiliation of this moment. I'm never going to be fine with them framing it as a humiliation. Endo didn't do anything wrong. So that's not okay. I don't like the framing of it for Nakajima either. I don't think it serves mm. him. This is also like not a podcast that endorses that Nakajima hurt Endo on purpose. We, you know, just just need to throw that out there because um, I could go on at length about the way that Nakajima is being treated right now as a mm-hmm. result of things that have happened in NOAA uh, with Kenya mm-hmm. Okada. He didn't, he didn't try to hurt Kenya Okada either. So there's a lot to be said about having that match now, knowing that more people than ever are sort of framing Kajima as an unsafe worker, someone who does these things on purpose. I, I I, think that the match isn't inevitable. I think that there should be some time and distance and space before mm-hmm. we see that again. And granted, there probably will be. I mean, I, I don't know I c- that we wouldn't see this until probably next year's like Cyber Fight Festival, right? They would probably yeah. build to it for something like that. And maybe, maybe the framing will change a little bit between now and then, but I still think that this is going to be like a a sticking point for Endo. It's like, he has to get back in front of Nakajima again and prove that he can stand in the ring with him and be, um, there's, and I think what's probably fair to say too, is there definitely is some cultural differences in the way that we're viewing this compared to the way that they're viewing this Mm -hmm. and things like that too. I think it's fair to, to say, but I'm never going to agree (laughs) with anyone that this is something that Endo has to like do to redeem himself I know that's how they're probably going to try to frame the match but I do think it is an inevitability I just don't know that the framing of it that way serves Endo and I don't know that I would be deeply concerned about how they're going to frame Nakajima coming into the match as well Mm -hmm. he's a good worker he'll do what he has to do but I don't know that it serves either of them
2: I I also feel it's inevitable and feel like there's such a huge downside to it. Um, I'll be glad when that point has been taken care of and we move on in the story.
0: Yeah, I actually was pro having this match because I am a, a big fan of both of them. And straight mm-hmm. up, I just want to see them have a match together. Um, I think it would be a great match, you know, just just flat out. And so I guess there's that selfish side. But uh, as I was talking to Alicia about this and we've been talking about it for almost two months straight now. Yeah, I, I definitely understand exactly mm-hmm. where, um, where we're coming from. And I, I can definitely relate to the troubles there and especially you know nowadays how that would be framed for Nagajima building to it for Cyber Fight Fest then you know there's been some time and Endo's worked his way up mm-hmm. um and perhaps and the the only way and I've talked about this as well that I could be okay with the storyline is if the ending if the punchline as it were were that he never needed to redeem himself at all because there was no he did nothing wrong, and there was nothing to redeem. And that right. that to me is is how the story should go. And I'm not exactly sure how we would tell that story mm-hmm. with that match. But if we keep having moments or keep, you know, working towards those moments with, like say, when Higuchi delivered that slap, because you, you can't cheapen that moment by you know throwing yeah. in Nakajima. Yeah, that's that's the thing, is that moment was still meaningful. If we're keeping the meaning of those moments, it has to build towards endo realizing that redemption doesn't come in the form of a person, it comes from within. And in the end, he never really needed to be redeemed. And so I think there's a way to do that. It's just a very difficult one within the wrestling medium but to your point and the point you've made from the very beginning is DDT takes from more than just wrestling so if any company can do it any company at all it has to be DDT so that
1: those are my takes on that one
2: that's a really interesting perspective yeah
1: and I think you're 100% right I think that I think the the messaging for endo they're walking away from that would need to be explicit like really te- like overly telegraphed for people and on mm. the side of that i think you would need to have overly telegraphed messaging for nakajima's side mm. of it and i don't know that they're going to be willing to do that mm, um yeah. i've read what and this is something that like you have to get behind the paywall to read it so i highly recommend if you really are interested in seeing someone's take on what happened with endo and Nakajima at Cyber Fight Fest that wasn't made public. It was behind a paywall. You can subscribe to Mara Fuji's, follow me for a month, and take a look at his post. He wrote it from his hospital bed because he had just gotten knee surgery. And um, he spoke about the issue and he spoke very eloquently and very beautifully about both of them, about Endo and about Nakajima. And his comments on Nakajima were important. I'm not going to say them on this because I believe very strongly in keeping the things he says there behind a paywall. He does it for a reason. But I think that the messaging in that follow me post was important in understanding Nakajima and understanding the perspective of people that were close to both of them during that incident. And I think that if you are going to do endo and Nakajima, you need to share some of that. It can't necessarily be behind a paywall. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. While I understand that's, I understand why Marfuji did that. That's just how he chooses to communicate with mm-hmm. a smaller group of people. I think that it would serve Endo and Nakajima to have that sort of perspective being told in a very public way. If we're going to move towards that match for cyber fight, it is, it could be, you know, the, that sort of shoot story stuff will work well in yeah. building that fight. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that they're, they're going to do that. And, and that's going to definitely affect my ability to, um, enjoy any outcome of that match. So that's what I will, <laughs> that's what I will say yeah. about that. No, thank you. Thank you for
0: sharing <laughs> yes. that. And like I said, I, I did want to talk about it because I think it is something that is, uh, inevitable and on a lot of people's minds. Do you have any uh, other thoughts on that, Sarah?
2: Well, I do think that, um, Because I do think this is going to be a really slow burn that perhaps time will change things and we'll be able to have a better perspective and, you know, a little more breathing room on this topic by the time it would finally come to a head and that maybe, you know, better storytelling options, slightly more humanity and less, you know, buzzing on Twitter and that kind of stuff will allow everything to just feel a little less. I don't even know what the word is. Just not this sort of
0: suffocating. Yeah, yeah. it
2: really is suffocating. Yeah. It's just bad. It's not bad. Yeah. No, it's just like if it can stop being such a like hot take buzzword topic. And if mm-hmm. people can get beyond like sharing a clip and having a 280 character take on something. Yes. Um then we might have the potential to see something that's going to be, you know, better for both athletes, for both promotions and for their fan bases. And, you know, most importantly, the people in the middle of all that whole Venn diagram who are being torn apart by this in multiple ways. And yeah, cause I, I do think we got a lot of suffering coming up, which I mean, <laughs> that's going love it as much as I there. hate it. Um, <laughs> It's just going to be, like, the most pure, exquisite agony because, like, I mean, he's so good at it. That's a big part of why he's my favorite. But I am also, because he's good at the suffering and he's very endearing, you don't want him to suffer even as you enjoy it. So, yeah, I'm prepared to just, you know, have my heart ripped out for a long-term build. And I think that's because it will lead to a payoff because it's DDT, um, I think it, it's totally a story worth jumping in on and I really hope they don't rush it because it, it gives time for other people to shine with the belt and it gives time for Endo to like claw back and give us another one of those finally I thought it was never going to happen victories that are so satisfying as an Endo fan and at yeah. which point when he finally has the belt again I he did during the last reign like casually throw out the idea of challenging Hirata, and I want to see that big match Hirata versus Endo for the belt correct
1: yes that would be <laughs> very, so very good. good
2: so um who does he get the belt from Ooh,
0: it's it it's gonna be a long 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 story so we don't we don't know for sure I don't know do we, know we
2: circle Akiyama back to the belt and that is how we see Endo versus Akiyama again that I was my so guess. yeah yeah that's I, my would, guess. I would like that yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah I think that's an inevitable too I mean like I think in the background of things you're always building towards Akiyama versus Endo. It's important in the same way that Takeshita versus Akiyama was important. I think mm-hmm. that Endo will get his in the way that it will happen will be interesting. Um, I'm, we're all waiting to see if there's going to be some tension between them that sort of builds to that if It will be a lot more friendly. Well, you know, what, what will be the circumstances around that? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that's an inevitable too. And I would, I would really like to see endo take the belt from akiyama i would also just like to see akiyama with the belt again that's because i am, <laughs> i mean, am, a am, champion, i'm so. loyal yeah, to one old man so yeah
0: all right so i think that uh that about covers it did you guys have anything to add give us some closing statements sarah go ahead
2: <laughs> oh man all the top um yeah hey please buy my book next april um which <laughs> immediately does name drop endo at one point um endo and miyu watanabe i've mentioned oh there are my- personal training heroes right now um and oh because of the care he puts into his training um I really do think he's a very thoughtful weightlifter which is not particularly common in wrestling and Mio for her joy in wrestling because I'm sorry if you can do tiktok dances standing on a bosu while like throwing around giant dumbbells you're amazing and also like sometimes if you watch her wrestle and she like gets so excited about being strong that she cries that is like <laughs> Hashtag goals for me. That's beautiful. So yeah, in conclusion, please buy my book, Dan Tetia Um, Come to my Twitter account at fodder Figure to eventually hear some book stuff. But in the meantime, please enjoy my like year and a half long thread of gifts of Endo yeah. falling down because he really is beautiful at the suffering thing.
0: No better time than now to get into endo suffering. So We're no are in time for than now. Is, to yeah. follow Sarah on Twitter and get. there's
2: gonna be a lot more where that came from.
1: All right, Alicia, you want to bring us home? I don't have anything cool to say. uh You should definitely buy Sarah's book when it comes out. Also, buy her other book. That would be cool. Yes,
2: buy please. Sarah's things. <laughs>
1: buy all of Sarah's things. <laughs> there's two
2: Um, (laughs) well there's one right now I think you can pre-order the new book if
1: you yes you can yes pre-order the new book Rachel has I'm going to oh thank you so there's that we'll promote the hell out of it when it comes out so do that I don't have anything cool to say you can follow me on um Twitter Kai with two eyes and uh that's all I got
0: All right. Awesome. Well, you can also follow me, Rachel, at Milky Star. That's M-I-I-K-Y star. And you can always follow me and Alicia at KickOut299 on Twitter. Please always give us support. Give us a your five-star ratings, your comments, your subscriptions. We want it all. Um, and we, want, we want to grow this thing as much as we yeah. can so we can do more fun episodes like this, yeah. more modern right. wrestling, things like that. This was- a We really want to do one. more
1: bonus and relaxed fit stuff, but it's hard to do that without <laughs> your <laughs> reviews and your subscribing. So yeah. <laughs> please, <laughs> please do that. Really- if you want to see more bonus content, we'd be happy to supply it, but we need to have some more of those coming. Please and thank you.
0: Yeah, don't don't get us wrong. We, we are very grateful for all the support so far. But if you are interested in seeing uh, more content like this, we absolutely love doing it. We love talking about modern pro wrestling. Um, we also love talking about older matches as well. Just drop us a line. Tell us what you want to see from us. And like I said, just comment, subscribe, follow us on your platform of choice. And thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us. Like I said, it was a delight.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me again.